Welcome to the Perfectly Integrated Podcast, hosted by Matt Ackerman, where we show the power of teamwork in wealth management. Now, on to the show. Origin stories are really fun in the financial services industry. Uh, where do we get started? Where do things come from? Well, today I have one of the great origin stories. It's from the first class of the Certified Financial Planners Program from 1973. I am joined by, by one of the first graduates, one of the first CFPs in this industry, Ben Combs. Ben, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here today on Perfectly Integrated Live from the FPA National Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. Ben, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Ben, it's 1973. Take me back 50 years. What made you want to be a CFP? Tell me about what you were doing at that time that, and, and, and a little about your story. Well, my story goes back to my father, who was one of the first CLUs uh, back when he only had to take three examinations. I think he got his CLU designation the year I was born in 1938. And uh, so he was a pioneer in that profession. And uh, I have been in the life insurance business following in his footsteps, but it was never really completely at home. I always felt like an answer in search of a question. And uh, I was trained to help people reword their questions so it fit my answer. You know, that's fascinating. So the an answer in search of a question and taking it to kind of a very different level here. Now, the CFP... I guess made us made this more of a profession too, more of a you know less in terms of selling a product and more in terms of offering those kind of solutions. Right? Well, as I said on that film video today, uh, I thought I invented financial planning because I wanted to be answers in search of questions, mm -hmm. and so that uh, whatever the question was, I might be able to help people find the answer. And I suddenly found out that there was an organization called the International Association for Financial Planning. This was in 1971, and I quickly joined, and uh, that's where I learned about the College for Financial Planning, and they were testing for the CFP certificate, and uh, my father had been a pioneer, and I thought, well, here's my chance to be a pioneer, too, so I quickly enrolled and was fortunate to be in that first graduating class. We are absolutely a pioneer, and it helped also to kind of help things to pivot a little. How did it help you to pivot from sales and selling life insurance to ultimately being what you clearly are, sir, which is a problem solver? Talk about how it made you a problem solver for your clients. Well, you know, I had to come out of the roots of product selling, and it wasn't an easy transition. I knew all about products, but I didn't know about the integration of products. And we had no, we had no models. We had no... Uh, people before us to help us find our way. We had to create it ourselves. So I wandered quite a bit and didn't really find a foothold until 1976 when I started a financial planning firm for the second time. I had failed the first time or got out of it before I failed. And uh, by that time, I had had experience not only in life insurance, but in securities and in real estate. And I finally got a feel for what it meant to blend those things together and as I said in that film this morning I woke up the fact I was in the service business I wasn't in the financial planning business I wasn't in the life insurance business or the securities business I was in the service business and I could always be of service to somebody every day and 
So that's what I set out to do, was to be of service. And when you serve other people, you suddenly become important to them, and uh, they are more open to seeking your advice as a result. What was the reaction of the people you worked with? Because, hey, it's 1970, it's 1971. You're a salesman selling life insurance to them. And then it pivots here, and you're providing that service, you know. I know you said you wandered a little bit, but all who wander are not lost. You Mm -hmm. are finding and offering solutions Mm -hmm. to folks. But what's the reaction there of those clients at the beginning? Uh, One thing I've counseled people is that you need to get out of the environment in which people know you. Mm -hmm. And you pointed out they knew me as a life insurance salesman, or they knew me as a tax-sheltered annuity salesman. Uh, I had to work my way out of the environment where I was known as that and be introduced to people for the first time as a financial planner. And uh, I was taught a method by a sales trainer, and that was to give away my services for free uh, initially, uh, asking people to help me learn better how to help them and asked them to serve, in effect, as guinea, pig, guinea pigs. And I did that with about a dozen people. And then I asked them, I said, now, how do you feel you've benefited from this service? And they would tell me, and I said, would you mind putting that in writing, or would it be easier if I wrote it up for you and you signed it? Uh, this is before we knew we couldn't have endorsements. <laughs> Which now, finally, they're, they're allowing. Oh, they're allowing that? Yeah. Now? Oh, great. It, it, took, it only took about 40-some-odd years for, for it to get into place, mm-hmm. but, but good for them. They, they've made it happen. Yeah. So I would ask them to sign that letter describing what they felt were the benefits of my service. And then I would said, well, who can I show this letter to? And I quickly got referred out of that environment of people that knew me as a product salesman into people who were meeting me for the first time as a financial advisor. And that's, you know, I built my business on referrals thereafter. Built a business on referrals, which is still this relationship business. That's Mm -hmm. what it's built on today is these relationships. How important were those uh, initial relationships ultimately to to growing your business exponentially here? Well, they were not only very important, they were the only thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't Uh, like you were doing other marketing or or this thing or that thing. uh, I would only do other marketing based on the environment. the number of clients I had. So I would hold client seminars Mm -hmm. for clients, but in that, have them invite their friends to it. I didn't do any public uh, promotion of seminars. It was just through clients and had them bring their friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's so important. It's the way to go. It's it's interesting because now it's 76, the second business you open Mm -hmm. kind of starts to really lift up here. And then we get into the 1980s and so much, shifts in the mindset of money and when we think about the 1980s you know i you know i think so many people associate money financial planning etc with with images like gordon gecko or images like that so what what was that period like where you know you know where where the mindset of of money changes and shifts and this you know you know the the vision of what a financial planner or money manager is changes and how, how did you deal with that Looking back on it, in the mid-70s was a frightening time mm-hmm. to get started. Interest rates were double digits. You could earn 12% on a money. Well, we didn't have money market funds until the early 80s. But, you know, mortgages were 15 16%. I started with school teachers as my client base. Okay. 
and a two-income school teacher family was in the 50% tax bracket. The highest marginal tax bracket was 70%, and uh, inflation was running in the teens. The only thing that the people talked about was tax shelters and inflation protection. And uh, that led, uh, this exhibit hall was maybe three times as big okay. in those days, all limited partnerships. And uh, Reagan and Tom O'Neill got together in the mid-80s and decided to level the playing field, and they forgot to take the players off the field. Mm -hmm. And uh, all those things went broke or substantially diminished. And I don't think it was until after that that we really, the public mindset was such that uh, they took a more integrated view of their finances. It wasn't focused on taxes and inflation. It was focused on uh, building a, a solid foundation financially, uh, leading towards financial independence. A solid foundation financially is so critical and so important, but you know you don't you don't realize you need it as much until things go down. Now you've seen a whole bunch of different downturns, whether we're talking about 1987 or or whatever. How important then is that foundation? of financial planning when markets suddenly take a nosedive too. Having a sound financial basis is very important, but also having a trusted relationship with an advisor is terribly important. I remember uh, I went from commission only to fee and commission in 1987. Mm -hmm. uh, does that year ring a bell with you? <laughs> it's quite a year. Yeah. In, in July of 1987, I converted uh, 15 of my commission clients to fee-only clients. And then October of 87 hit. And I sat by the phone waiting for a phone call from one of these 15, if not all of them. And the phone never rang. So I called. I picked the phone and called them. And they, the reason they hadn't called is they were scared to death right. to find out what was happening. And I could tell them that, uh, you know, yes, we've, we've uh, had some losses, but you're still financially on target given the time frame that we're dealing with, and this too shall pass. And, uh, you know, I said that uh, with maybe more conviction than I really felt at the moment. But... Uh, they all told me that the fact that they had confidence in the integrity, as our speaker today pointed out, of the trusted advisor they had was, was very comforting and encouraging, and not one of them ceased being a client. Now, it's so interesting, too, because I think at those lowest point dark moments, advisors who sometimes can feel like they're on an island they, it's good to have organizations, whether it be a designation like the CFP or an organization like um, now the Financial Planning Association mm -hmm. at that time. and uh, It was a different name. But, but how important was that community of folks for you um, during that time? Did they help to support you? Did they give you some confidence? What was it like to kind of be in the industry at that time? Too? Well, I, I hadn't thought about that. But that's an interesting question. I was scheduled. I was... Uh, president of the ICFP at that time, in the fall of 1986. And I was scheduled to talk to the IAFP chapter in Hawaii uh, near the end of October. 
And they had 275 people who had paid a fee to come to that conference. And when I showed up there, there was maybe 50 in the audience. Oh, my. And uh, even in those days, uh, even though we'd been around as a designation for how many years? 15 years by that time. Mm -hmm. Most of them were product salesmen. And they, they went out of business. Uh, I remember my, that was the uh, 25th anniversary of Money Magazine, as I recall, in that year. Mm -hmm. And they had published earlier that year the top 250 financial planners in the U United States. Mm -hmm. And by the end of 1987, there was probably only 50 of us left in the business. Oh, wow. So, uh, but the 50 that were left were, were financial planners offering service and not product. And, and uh, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of body warmth. You had, to, you had to come to Phoenix or someplace to find more than just a handful around you. So the growth of the profession now, I think, provides a whole lot more support and encouragement and uh, validation for financial planners than it did in those days when we were getting started. Now, you mentioned before you've been retired 15 years, but having 23 you, years. 23 been, years. Yeah. Oh, when you, so you've been retired 23 years. What, when you come back to events like this now, what stands out in terms of the continued evolution of the industry what 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 makes you say okay we're still heading in a good direction here we're in good shape i left this in good shape and it's even better now what's what what stands out to you as different and better this uh exhibit hall yeah it's probably one-third the size of the exhibit halls in the 80s right and it's mostly firms displaying services to support financial planners in those days it was all product it was tax shelters real Limited partnerships, uh, T-bill straddles, I know, all kinds of esoteric windmills, <laughs> diamonds. Uh, the absence of all that is very encouraging. And the, and the fact that these people are here because they want to support the planning relationship between the planner and his client and not uh, beat the drum for some kind of esoteric product is no, encouraging. Now, I noticed you're, you, you introduced me to your son, who's here with you. Mm -hmm. Is uh, he a financial advisor now? No, today? no, he's living out his father's dream. He's a golf pro. <laughs> That's my, that would be my dream as well. Any yeah. sort of like professional sport uh, that you can be leveraged into, that, that's even better. You know you're getting old when you can go to the U.S. Senior Open to see your son play golf. And... <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. The... Um, it's so interesting and encouraging. Now, have you um, kept in touch with in terms of other members of your class with, that you're in there with? Did you? Like, there's so many cool things with the CFP now where people help each other in study sessions and things like that. Was that in existence 50 years ago or did you study and get towards that designation with other folks? No, I did it entirely on my own. Really? In fact, uh, I probably shouldn't tell this story because uh, it tells you more about the beginnings. But... Uh, there was five examinations we had to take. And uh, you were exempted from the securities exam if you had a securities license, and you were exempted from the insurance exam if you had a CLU, but you couldn't be exempted from both. And I was a training director uh, for a variable annuity company at that time, so my securities 
education was fresher than my CLU education, which was about six, seven years before then. So I took the exemption from the, the insurance one and uh, signed up to take two exams, the first examination session, thinking if I fail one, I won't lose any time. I will have passed one. Mm -hmm. And uh, much to my chagrin, the study material didn't arrive until after the date of the exam. But fortunately, I passed both of them. <laughs> both of them. <laughs> so you passed them both, even though you could have been exempt from one. Well, I was. I didn't take the one I was exempt. Oh, okay. From. Uh, just two, and then the following year, I took two more, and that was the year 1973 when mm -hmm. I had the first group of us get the designation. So when you look back on your on your career in this space, uh, more than what, 27 years as a, as a CFP. Um, when you think back and you hear what, when you reflect back on what do you look back on most fondly? What are you proudest of about having worked in this amazing profession? Well, I'm proud of the fact that the, my firm that I started and brought a young man into who I eventually sold to is still in business and still dealing with some of the clients I brought into that firm mm -hmm. in 1976. And then I'm also very proud of this, the health and the vitality of the profession that uh, I was privileged to help give birth to. It's incredible. Well, now the last question of each episode is a question from my 12-year-old son. Mm. Hopefully someday he can grow up to be a, a golf pro or something. Right now he's much more into musical theater and, uh, and, uh, and movies. And so his question for you is very interesting, I thought. Um, He's very into movies and movie soundtracks. And he said, what song would have definitely been on the soundtrack if they made a movie about you, your life, and as you're getting that CFP certification in 1973, is there a song that's sitting on that soundtrack? Absolutely, that's gotta, that has would have to be there that really inspired you. Oh, that's hard to answer. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have a ton of music on my phone. Nice. And uh, I... Never listened to it <laughs> until recently. My my wife passed away in March, and I've started listening to it. And uh, all all the songs about love touch my heart. Yeah. But the one maybe that uh, gives me the most connection with the past and hope for the future is somewhere over the rainbow. Uh, that's fantastic. That is a great. Is there is there a song right now that makes you think of your wife too? Uh, you know, the music you listen to, you said the love songs get to you. Was yeah. there? Uh, it, perhaps Love is the name of the song, John Denver song. Oh, that's a fantastic one. Well, you've given me a lot to inspire me today. And uh, Ben, thank you so much for making time to be on this episode with us today. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. It's been awesome. Well, and thank you again to our audience for joining us. It's been another great episode of Perfectly Integrated, live from Phoenix, Arizona at the FPA National Conference for Integrated Partners. I'm Matt Ackerman. Have a great day.